these are so dumb. <laughs> like, they are in a lot of ways. <laughs> what, what are you asking these questions? You know, you're the architect of the future of your organization. And you... <laughs> I thought that was always a, like an interesting way to look at it, right? You're listening to the Roofing Success Podcast, a show created to inspire roofing contractors to achieve optimal success in their roofing businesses. I'm the host, Jim Aline, the co-author of the books, Internet Marketing for Roofing Contractors, and The Best Known Roofer. I'm also the co-founder of Roofer Marketers, the leading digital marketing agency for the roofing industry. On each episode, I sit down with industry leaders to talk about their processes, the lessons they've learned, and how to find success in roofing. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Roofing Success Podcast. Today we're going to have a, a conversation about culture. So our friend Terry Gwaltney wrote a new book called Culture Near. Should be available to you now as this podcast goes out. It'll it'll go out. They'll they'll kind of be going out about the same time. So super excited to have you on the on the show today, Terry. How did you get into roofing? Oh wow, that's a big subject. <clears throat> uh, you know, short version, I was I was in a transitional time in my life where uh, I had spent quite a bit of time in the actual nonprofit world, uh, and it was best, you know, uh, to make a transition. And I was trying to figure out what am I going to recreate myself and do, still be able to help people and add value, uh, and that's kind of what led me, uh, you know, into the contracting world. That's a very very short version. That's the short version, right? So let's talk a little bit about integrity at your company a little bit. Uh, you know, when did you start it? What, you know, what, where, where is it now from where you started it? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going into our, uh, this be our upcoming, our 16th year. Um, yeah, we, uh, we operate in three states. It's been a very transformational uh, time for us. You know, when we first started, probably like many, you know, 15, 16 years ago, primarily we were in the insurance, you know, arena that, that made up 95% of our business today. That represents 5% of our business and 95% of what we do is retail. Uh, you know, we were primarily 15 years ago in urban areas. Uh, today we're primarily in rural areas with the exception of uh, one of our markets. So big, big transformation over the course of the last 15 years. Yeah, that is a big transformation. I mean, one of the things that when 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 we got connected, um, I don't know a year or so ago, um, we were talking, and I was, I, I I've used your story a few times about like because everyone's like shooting for the big market, right? They're like, well, if I if I have my you know my my company in Minneapolis, or if I have my company in Dallas, or if I have my company in Denver or Orlando, or you know. Like I, I need to be in that area with all those people to get to that eight figure kind of contracting business. And then there's integrity roofing and exteriors out in what's the town in <laughs> Illinois? <laughs> yes, you know? our corporate headquarters, Stoneford, Illinois, population. That's right, corporate headquarters. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and it's uh, like, and and you guys are, you know, have 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 built this thing up, and you're you're in, you know, it's multiple locations, but it, it's such an interesting concept to me that that you know, and, and that's what tells me that it, it. A lot of times, it's about the business, not the location. Right. You're when you, when you build a, a business that that provides an exceptional customer experience, you're going to win. And, and and that's what you guys have been doing for years down there. But I think there's a lot more to it. And I think that's where the book has come from. 
uh, and again, the book is called Culture Near. You know, I think a lot of it, I mean, well, let's just say a lot of it comes from you as the leader of the company, right? And so, so in growing an eight figure, uh, eight figure, uh, yes, business, right? And growing an eight figure business across multiple locations, leading many people, what led you to, 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 to writing the book? You know, I, I think when we went through, you know, I think you finally reach a, a stage, probably we all do in our life where it's not just about the money and it's not just about building something bigger to say you've built something bigger. Well, you know, I'm 55 years old, you know, and the things that are important to me as I start looking down through my grandkids and my kids, uh, you, you begin to define success differently. It's a big difference sometimes between success and significance. So it really caused us to begin to look for, for me, uh, a few years ago, I began to realize, wow, um, I'm where I'm supposed to be here in the marketplace. What good can I do in this space? I could be other places, but I'm here. And what I began to realize is I think part of my purpose was helping other people discover theirs. And we began to really take that approach with the people that were working for us. And it, it really became our secret sauce. We began to see uh, our people become brand ambassadors, our customer experience go to a, a whole nother level. Um, and we've seen engagement go through the roof. And, you know, there's a lot of things we do that we can watch and our competitors will follow, you know, <laughs> and, and we've seen it through the years. We'll do something and, oh, yeah, you know, so everybody else is doing it. But one thing that uh, most of your competitors can't steal is your culture. Uh, it takes a huge commitment to it. Um it's the secret sauce really that gives you an unfair competitive advantage. And so we just really began to focus on people uh, yeah. and it worked and we realized, wow, there's, there's something, if we could help more people do that, which is kind of why the book came about and it was twofold, you know, um, you know, one, if we can show them and maybe just share a little bit of what we learned, because a lot of what we learned the hard way by making mistakes. That's what experience is. <laughs> but wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. So we thought, well, if we can share a little bit of that wisdom, you know, uh, maybe they want, maybe some other guys won't have to go through some of the same pain, but the end result is what you can do with that organization to impact the communities you're in, as well as the people you're leading. And that's really what was the driving force behind writing the book. <clears throat> yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and that's uh, one of the things you said there was like, there, there's a lot of times in business early on, we are imitating, right? We're looking at someone or, you know, another company and we're like that, if I do it like that, I'll get there. Uh, I had a, uh, another gentleman on the podcast. We talked about this and, and his thing was like, imitation gets you to here, right? But then your own version of that and that, and, and now that you're saying it, it's the culture that you create, the brand that you build, the, those differentiators are what make you go from, you know, you'll never beat someone imitating them, but you can get, you can get some things going, right? Why is culture so important? Oh, wow. Uh, I could write a whole book on that. You did, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there really is. There's, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's just so much to it. It affects everything. I mean, it, you know, the new battlefield, I think the battleground right now for us that are all in business, irregardless of the industry you're in, is not so much for how can we get new customers. It's how can we get employees? Mm. You know, that's, you know, there's, there's uh, I think, 1.6 job openings right now for every one person that's even looking for a job. And, and, you know, we select one out of a hundred people that we talk to. 
And so the people that I'm selecting and, and talking to to get to that one, they're already working somewhere else. So I also have to have something appealing to them. They're, they're not sitting around looking for a job. You know, they have to be looking for a career. They have to be looking for a place where they can make a difference. And so it just impacts so many aspects of our business that ultimately affect the bottom line. Yeah. It, it, uh, one thing I'll tell you I liked about the book, I got to read it over the weekend, was that um, it's not just the conversation about it, but you're you have some kind of. I guess exercises and things like that that uh, along the way as we're as you're going through and in, in in the book and and um, I, I wanted to go through that with you the one about about culture so it's more like in the in in what is culture it's you know like starting with that introspection of where you're at I think that self awareness is such an important factor in in, in, you know, in being a business owner, in being, you know, just person in, in, in within yourself, that self-awareness of, of things. And with, with that self-awareness is where you learn, Hey, this is where I, I need to fill this gap, right? I need to improve on this or that. So in here there, um, in, 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 in the first chapter here, you have on a scale of one to 10, right? It's like, you know, these things of, of, uh, of the current state of the culture of your organization. And the first thing you ask is, do you have an above average employee engagement? Give us some little, just a quick synopsis of why that question is important to ask yourself. Well, I think for so many people, if, if you look out, you have people that uh, if they're only working for your organization for a paycheck, then you're only going to get bare, basic, minimal effort. If you have someone that is working and they understand the culture and they're bought into it and they understand the mission, they don't feel like they have a job. They feel like they have a mission. If the company has a strong vision, they feel like they're going somewhere. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so that's really what starts leading to this engagement. And so we've all felt that every time we went to a restaurant where we've loved the food and they had a reputation for it. But that one time we go, uh, the person couldn't stay off their cell phone long enough to provide you service. You know, the service was horrible. The food was great. The atmosphere was great, but the service was poor. Well, we just experienced the culture of that organization. You know, that person probably didn't feel valued, felt like they had a job when they weren't engaged in. It wasn't a career for them uh, and they weren't going to go above and beyond. And so if I lose this job, so what? You know, but would you have an engaged culture? it becomes an extension. The, the customer experience will never be greater than the employee experience. Mm -hmm. And there becomes lies your measurement of engagement and why it's so important. That's amazing. It, it's, and then uh, another thing that leads to, right. Or, or what you think about in that is, is, you know, you, the productivity of your team probably changes. You have a question in here of what your team's overall productivity is. How well are you creating top performance? How, how effective do you feel in your onboarding process? And then how healthy is your team's environment, right? So those things to me, when you just said that, it's like this first, the first part of that is, is that engagement, right? The, uh, do you have that above average employee engagement? But the rest of it kind of leads to more of the environment that they're in. So um, I, I think, you know, more of the kind of, the, the first thing that you kind of go into or the next thing that you go into the book is defining your culture, because if, if it's a hollow room, right, if there's nothing of substance in the room, that's what they're going to feel and they're going to be there for a paycheck. So 
how can one define their culture? Well, you know, it, it gets into other chapters we're going to go into, mm-hmm. so that it all becomes really integrated and one builds on the other. But <clears throat> I mean, if you're going to be a business owner, I think the first thing you have to establish is where are you wanting to go, which is kind of the Simon Sinek book, you know, why, you know, I think that be, kind of becomes your vision. Where, where is it that I want to end up? What does that look like? You know, um, you know, you're the architect of the future of your organization and you have to be the one that can articulate that in the form of a vision and saying that I have a vision statement hanging on the wall doesn't cut it for most of the people that are following. So you have to begin to really work that backwards to create that environment you want. So where do I want to end up? Number one, how do I want to do it? That becomes the mission of what I'm doing every day. But then I can't do this alone. My, my dream is bigger than just what I can accomplish. So what is it that I value? You start putting corporate words to it. And I think we lose people sometimes. Well, what do I need core values? That's for a bigger company. No, what do yeah. you value? Before I hire the first person, I need to know where I'm going, how I'm going to do it, and what are my values? Because I'm I'm adding number two, number three, number four, number 20 person on my team that I expect to process those decisions and represent me just like I was there. I spent my time. <laughs> I'm paying for your time now to go out and come to the same conclusion. And I think that's the beginning of shaping. What do I want that environment to look like? What do I want that culture to look like? And so so much of it just lands squarely on the uh on the entrepreneur, the owner or the manager on what's, what's important to you. How are you going to treat people with dignity, honor, and respect? Well, if that's how you're going to treat people and you're going to build an environment that does that and you're going to, your selection process of recruiting is only going to be for people that you feel like shares those values. And I think that's a big mistake. I think we, we underestimate the power of value and attitude when we're recruiting and interviewing for people because we think it's something that can be trained like a skill, and it's not. You either have the yeah. values and you have the right attitude. You can train the skills. The other stuff, if it's not there, if you've, if you've been a liar habitually for 30 years of your life, I'm not going to change that by giving you a paycheck. <laughs> That's right. You can teach them a a heck of a sales process. They're still going to lie, right? (laughs) Exactly. They're going to overpromise and underdeliver. Let's talk about the mission first then. Like, what are some tips on helping to craft a mission, get it down on paper? Wow. Well, um, again, I think the lion's share that needs to start with you figuring out what what is it that you want to deliver? You know, what, what is that mission that you're on? Like I can look at my office and even on our office walls, we have our mission statement. Uh, we create them in little pocket trifolds that all of our guys carry with them in their ID badges. And so for us, you know, our mission is to help our customers protect what matters most by serving with character and purpose that brings honor to God. And everybody on our team can quote that. We, you know, and we, we bring that up periodically because that really is our mission. And so I think, as an owner, we've got to figure out what is our mission. And within that mission, you need to tie a sense of purpose for the people that are on your team. Or again, it just becomes a job. So if you think about that, like on ours, if our mission is to help people protect what matters most, well, what is that? See, for us, roofing is just a commodity. 80% of what we do is just like every other roofing company. But the 20% that we do different, that makes us different, is 100% of the difference. And so that's the part that we focus on is that 20%. And so for us, protecting what matters most means 
okay, underneath that roof, our guys understand that everything that means the most to that family is underneath that roof. Those pictures that hang on the wall, those people that live in that house, those heirlooms that have been passed from one generation to the next that are in that attic, that's what matters most to them. Probably the biggest investment for most of our customers that they'll ever make in their lifetime. And we get the opportunity every day to go out and solve a problem, relieve anxiety, and do it by providing an amazing customer experience that they want to talk about. Now, there's a sense of mission with that. Coupled with seeing what we're running into and hearing the horror stories of the customer experience maybe they had the last time or how they felt like they were taken advantage of or, or sold a bill of goods that, uh, that weren't delivered on, that also brings this great sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that I really have purpose in what I do. I get paid to help people. And so your mission statement needs to reflect the heart behind why did you get in business the first place? So for us, even in sales, you know, for a lot of people, sales is what I do to people. <laughs> for us, it's, it's, it's what we get to do for people. It's a very subtle difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. And I think that starts by defining what my mission is and then finding those people that share the values to carry that mission out. I'll get paid well if I just serve people well. It's amazing how that happens. And I think that's the beginning yeah, of mission. It's amazing how that happens, right? Isn't it? Now, I think that I think where a lot of it, sometimes it gets muddled because we're all, we're, you know, supposed to have a mission and a vision. And you, you break this down a lot, um, but, but let's, let's do it here because you, you kind of show that the vision is, is more of your roadmap for the future. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between the mission yeah. and vision and then into creating that vision. Yeah. You know, so, again, I think the mission is it's kind of the day to day. It's it's how you're going to do what you're doing. So there's a certain way that we're going to serve our customer and help them protect what matters most every day. That's our mission. But our vision is the roadmap of this is what this looks like when we end up over there. So we're, we're giving our entire team a much bigger picture that we're all marching towards. And so like our vision statement is to develop servant leaders who make a global difference by inspiring others to serve and to give. Okay. So that's pretty broad and it's pretty big, but it's a big part of our vision statement. And so when a lot of the things that we do, like earlier today, I was working on a program, like in the month of November, um, we're going to be starting a program because we're, we're big on patriotism. And so we're, we're always involved with stuff that has to do with first responders and military. And we always do something in the month of November. Well, <clears throat> In the month of November, every time we sell a job, we're going to actually be installing a flag uh, for our homeowners. And then we've got a challenge coin that has the Pledge of Allegiance on one side of that flag that we're also going to be giving them, as well as a little care package on how to care for that that flag that we're giving them. Uh, and it's not a sales tool like, hey, if you buy from us, you're going to get a new flag. It's like they chose to go with us. And oh, by the way, and then we're going to install the flag for them and it's, it's free. Uh, my point in sharing that is um, that fits into our values and our vision and our mission, but there's also the hope uh, that that's going to inspire other companies to do the same thing, which really does fit into our vision statement. So there's a whole nother arm of what we call our integrity cares where we give back. That really is the fulfillment of that vision statement. You know, how can we take what we've got and use it not just to take care of our families and move it forward. And, you know, we all want to, we all want our kids to have it a little bit better than what we had. 
but what can we also do to impact the communities that, is, that have made us successful? Uh, and so for us, that fits into part of our vision statement. So I think the vision is always, it's something lofty. It's something well out there. Um, you know, the mission to some degree can change a bit because, you know, yeah. change for us, uh, you know, how we do it didn't change. But, you know, now 95% of our efforts are on a retail business, which is much different than, you know, an insurance business and meeting with adjusters. Uh, but the vision doesn't change. You know, it's that lofty goal of where we're going to go. And I think you need to involve your people in it, but you need an idea of where you want to end up. And that's kind of the breakdown of that. Once I get an idea of like, here's the big picture of how we want to do this. Now, how, how do we as a team craft that so you get the buy-in? from everybody buy in the phrase right one thing's yeah. for sure if it's un oh yeah because if it's here's the thing to remember if it's unclear in the mind of the leader and it's fuzzy it'll never be clear in those that are following and so it has a domino effect you know from your your, your managers or your sweet sweet c-suite leaders all the way down to your team leads your supervisors and the guys that are you know working the installs in the field um, and so once you get that buy-in, then it just becomes a repetition. You're, you're refining that message. What that was the next thing I have highlighted in the book here is that, uh, and to ask you about is that how that vision influences recruiting and retention. And you know, I mean, it, it's it's having the right people. A lot of what we're going to talk about is having the right people. But but speak to that how that vision has influenced, or or a, maybe a story that you you know from from your company how that that vision has influenced your recruiting and retention over the years. Yeah, I think about three or four years ago, I began to change the ads that when we were actually recruiting. Uh, and one of the things that we did is we begin to add our, our core values, our, our, some of our mission, our vision statement. And whether it was on our website or it was on an online uh, third-party company that was, we were posting our ads on, we used it as a filter. So people could read through the ads of you know, what they're going to do as far as a job description. But then they got down to vision and mission and core values. And so that filter began just that. It began a funnel. So if that was something that... <clears throat> you didn't line up with, it would probably, I would never talk to you. You would automatically move on. <laughs> but if it was something like, I can see myself, you know, I, I am about patriotism. I, I, you know, I am about integrity. I do want to do things the right way. It kind of moved you down the funnel. And so what we've seen is when we begin our interview process, people were checking us out and telling us about our culture. And so one of the things we would ask them in the interview process is, so have you done any research on our company? Yeah, I have. So, Tell us what you did, you know, and what I'm looking for is, you know, how bought in are they to what we're doing or is this really just a job? You think about it, if it's a career for you, that's a well thought out plan. You didn't just kind of throw your resume out there and just let's see what bites. It's a waste of your time and mine. But when they come back, so, you know, I looked at your website, I I read your reviews, uh, I looked at your Facebook. Well, what we were hearing is, is, well, your culture seems to promote leadership development. It seems like you're really all about, uh, you know, supporting the troops. They begin to echo to us our core values. And I said, well, you said you didn't know anybody that worked here. How did you know that? And a lot of it was through our social media and our website. Well, when I read, it seemed like, and all the people seemed like they were happy. And, and we've seen how you really, you know, promoted all your people and you celebrate their anniversaries and their birthdays. And I've seen the trips you guys went on. And so all of those things begin to affect the recruiting because what we've seen when you do as many interviews as we do to try to find one person, you find out real quick what most of the folks are looking for. 
you know, trying to escape a toxic culture. And this culture is like at the top of their list. They want to be paid well, but it's not the most important thing. There's many of them that will come and work for less or will tell you they will work. I'm making this, but I don't have to make that. I want to go to a place where I want to go to work every day. I want to feel like I'm making a difference. And I want to feel like there's a career path for me to be able to grow. And we begin to answer those things through the stuff that we're talking about on the front end. So what we found is, is we were attracting more people that would automatically fit our culture because our interview process went from three things that I'm looking for. Does this person have the character to be on our team? The second thing is, do they have the competency so we can train them? And then the third one is, do they have the chemistry or do they fit our culture? If they can't check all three of those boxes in the first interview, we don't have any business yeah. talking to them. Because I don't, I don't care how skilled they are, how much experience they have. Oh, we even took it a step further. We do what we call ride-alongs. And it doesn't matter if you're in accounting, you're selling, or you're managing a job. You're coming and spending a whole day in that job. And the main purpose of that is the feedback I'm getting from my people. <laughs> like, yeah, that guy could probably do the job, but we don't want to work with him. Or this guy doesn't fit our culture. Or all he wanted to do is talk negatively about the last place he come from. I don't think that's probably what we're wanting here. You know what I'm saying? There's so much of that, you know, and it all factors in. And I truly believe, you know, the company is going to be the most successful in this decade. You know, they're going to have the best processes, but they're also going to have the best recruiting. When you have the best processes, all you want, you have to have them. If you don't have anybody to, to follow the process and carry it out, you're dead in the water. And this new battle is really for recruiting. And this culture is a key part of that for retention and the recruitment. I, I heard a statistic recently and, and i'm gonna you know the the number may not be exact in the statistics so i'm gonna i'm gonna asterisk this uh this statistic for everyone but it was it was like 80 85 percent of people say that they'll stay in a job uh that they would rather stay in a job um again not for the money but because they have a like have made a good friend there and when you think about it, well, as you were talking there, I was like, well, you, the, the people that you make friends with a lot of times are the people that you share those values. You share the you share um, values, you share common interests, right? You share common hobbies. And so those are that it, it falls right in line with that. Right. It's and and, and I see it all the Absolutely. time, too, right? Like people, people is always Every business owner had this conversation so many times on the podcast that, I mean, every business is just people. It, it's, you're just, you just, it's all people. A lot of, and, and, and so you like what you're saying, right? You need that, that process of finding those good people, finding the people that will stay, uh, finding the people that have a higher purpose than just getting the paycheck and going home. Um, you, you talk about in the book, your shared values, right? So, and this is kind of where I think, you know, kind of where all these dots start connecting when I'm, when, as I, as I was talking and it's establishing mm -hmm. the shared values that accurately reflect what our org, what your organization is, about is critical because these values serve as the foundation of your culture. So 
you've put together your mission, your vision, you've had some consideration of your culture and what you want it to look like. You started to express that in, in a verbal way, put pen to paper for that mission vision. You know, let, let's kind of, you know, talk more about that laying that foundation of the culture, um, it, it, you know, in the execution of it, right? Yeah, well, again, I, I think I think for most of us, we get lost when we hear the corporate terms, vision statement, yeah. mission statement, yeah. core values. If you've been in business very long, you're like, well, yeah, I, I know, you know, we need one of those. But we don't really understand why we need them. We understand it enough that we have one. We've had one from day one, <laughs> but we didn't implement it very well. Just because I knew it didn't mean the guy that was out there meeting the customer that I'll never meet was carrying it out. And it sure wasn't a part of his decision-making process. And so when we want to talk about foundation, it begins with knowing exactly what that is and just putting that pen to paper, but then it starts in the hiring process. You know, it's much easier to go look for people that have those shared values. I had somebody an older gentleman shared with me many, many years ago, and I never forgot it. He said, I only hire people that I want to have lunch with on my day off. And I've thought about that through the years, you know. There's some people I'd want to have lunch with yeah. a little more often than others, but I do try to make that as a rule. You know, if this is not somebody I want to have lunch with on my day off. Do I really want to spend the next decade of my life paying this person to be in my life? And if I don't, it's simply because there's probably something they don't line up with, you know, my values or yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that's super important. And so I think it really does start on the recruiting side of that. But then you've got to figure out ways to break that down to where people understand, yeah, it's not just something on the wall. And so that really comes through repetition. I think it's a lot like vision. You've heard this statement, but vision leaks. So just because you share it one time doesn't mean everybody knows it, gets it, and remembers it. And so it's the same way with the core values. I think you have to break that down because it's so foundational. What really is important to you? Wow, well, you know, I, I don't know what words to pick. There's no, no what's important to you. So if, if you don't want someone representing you lying to your customer to get a sale, is that important to you? Okay. So integrity is probably important to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that needs to be built into the meetings where you talk about it. You know, that needs to be part of the interview process where you come on board it needs to be part of your reward system. You know, people are going to repeat what gets rewarded. You know, they're going to you're teaching what you allow. They repeat what you reward. And so once I figure out what that is, I'm integrating that into every aspect of the business. So it just becomes really, really natural when I'm out in the field. Like, yeah, I don't need to make a phone call for this because that's not something we would do. And, you know, it's the same way with teamwork. Like our folks around here know, you know, if someone says that's not my job, you probably don't belong here. Matter of fact, we tell people in the interview, you will never, ever hear someone say that here because it's the exact opposite of teamwork. And so, you know, we help each other. And so that's important to us. So we call our, we don't even refer to our folks as employees. We refer to them as team members. So even the language of the organization sends the message of what we're trying to reiterate and make important in the lives of the people. And you have to do that with your core values very, very intentionally. And that's the foundational part of yeah, beginning to build I have up. another part highlighted in the book here. Be aware of what you are communicating <laughs> in terms of this, right? Like you have to, and, and if you, here's the other thing that 
that and and it's you know you talk about it in the book too and leading it's the, the old you know leading by example right so if you are just saying the words but you are not the person that is doing if you are the person saying no no you just do that no 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 you uh, just give that no i don't i'm not right you you that's how your team's going to act too right so you, it it gets passed down you know through the whole thing uh, uh, tell me that I, I i heard about you know in in the development of core values one thing that i heard that was that was interesting to me uh when a couple of years ago as we were doing eos and building our core values and things like that was um if you a lot of times it sometimes it's hard to think of what what your core value is, but you kind of went through a little process of, you know, do you want your, you know, sales reps to be truthful and have integrity, right? Like that leads to that core value. A lot of times we can look at the opposite, right? Not what you're looking for, what you will not stand for. Right. And, and and those things that you, the opposite of what you, of that is your, are your core values. I thought that was always a, like an interesting way to look at it. Right. Yeah, for sure. But it's just like, again, I think we overcomplicate it, but, but you went into business and what are you wanting to deliver? Well, I want to deliver amazing customer experience. Okay. So then you can't have an average standard, right? So excellence is probably a core value. So excellence is, you know, integrity is doing what's right when nobody's looking, you know, excellence is not just doing what's good enough, but going beyond that. And so, you know, I think in the, in the establishment of all this stuff with culture and core values and all this is like, do you want an average company? If you do, do whatever else is doing. If you want above average company, then you need to figure out what are those things that are important to you. And so again, it breaks it down. Just remove the core. What are your values? Man, I, I want to, I mean, we're in the, not in the roofing business. We're in the people business. Yep. <laughs> I tell people, what do you do? You know, for most of us, we don't want to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of those companies that's on the top 10 list of the better business bureaus, the guys to watch out for. We don't want to tell people we're in the roofing business. So I tell people, I so said, we're a leadership development company. We just happen to provide home improvement solutions. And, our, yep. and that's how we train. I mean, our guys know that. This is about personal growth. You know, we're, we're uh, craftsmen and professionals serving ladies and gentlemen. We drive that home to our guys. You're craftsmen and professionals serving ladies and gentlemen. So what do you do? Well, that's what I do. What kind of business? You? I'm in the people business. What kind of company you work for? It's a leadership development company. Every bit of that, though, is so intentional. Yeah. So it gets to the point where we not only believe it, but that's actually how we act when we're out there with our people. That's the, the it, it, it. It take it, it it goes deep, right? But in, in the in the way that, but in the day to day is where that execution gets made, right? Is what I'm hearing there. Like you got to be intentional about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, it, it's um, it's it's bigger than just nailing on shingles, right? There's there there has to be something more to it. Being a leader or a personal development organization, I think, scares a lot of owners that don't have a, a, an abundance mindset. Um, what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. that? I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fair. It's, it's, it's hard to ask people to do what you're not willing to do, which in the essence, that's what leadership is. You, you have to show before those that can follow. 
And yeah, I think sometimes we're afraid to model, which that's, I mean, it, it leads back to what you were saying a while ago. You have to model what you're wanting or you become the hypocritical leader. Yeah. So then none of your values hold any weight. Well, you said we respect everybody, but I seen what you did with Joe when you called him out in front of everybody and, and demeaned him in front of everybody that you didn't respect him. And so, you know, for actions, which speak much louder than our words send yeah. a conflicting message, it's very hard to build the kind of culture that we say we really want. It is. But I, I think you're spot on though. It's, it, it's, it's really challenging, but it, I mean, all of this is, is, I don't know. I don't, I want to say challenging, but it's the challenge that we that we accept as as business owners, right? Um, you know, 170 something in, you know episodes in of of contractors who who found success in their businesses. Uh, you know, so almost every story starts with, I started my own company because the company that I was working for lacked this, that, and the other thing. And, and so those values, their personal values made them leave that company, right? Their personal mission, right? Their personal, uh, uh, you know, vision. They didn't see themselves working for that company for a long time because of those nuances, like, you know, to the point, hey, you say this, but you do this, right? A lot of that comes down to it. Um, one of the things that the next kind of, and where the rubber meets the road, I want to go next. And that is in the selection of team, right? So now you've, you've really put some thought into your mission, oh, yeah. expressed it, your vision, expressed it. You've worked, you, you've developed your core values and, and now rubber hits the road. There's a, um, there, there's a, a part in the book here that, uh, or a, a, that I highlighted here. Wisdom is recognizing early on which ones are the most important. The most important decisions are never about budgets, innovation, or time management. Although these are all important to some degree, the most important decision a leader will ever make will be people decisions. Absolutely. How do we start to select that team in making those people decisions? Well, I think we've laid the foundation for it, obviously, in what we're talking about. So if I know where I want to go, I know how I want to do it, and I know what's important to me. Uh, when I begin to make my job description, and I include those things in to try to encourage those that don't share any of those, that's too much work. I'm not into personal development. I'm looking for a job, not a career. You know, these things aren't important to me, and I eliminate them. It's as much about learning who you say no to. Mm. So you have room to say yes to the right people. So I get through that process. Then you really have to begin to craft the questions. And so our interview process, I remember a guy I interviewed five times. He's now been with us four or five years. He's, he's one of our leaders. <clears throat> and um, there was a lot of questions that I had because of where he had come from. And so I interviewed him a little bit longer than typically. But I'll never forget, we were sitting in the office. And I, at this point, we were in the fourth interview. And he said, you know, we've talked four times and we've not talked hardly at all about roofing. He said, I'm assuming that's not the most important thing here. <laughs> I said, no, it's not. So we can teach you that. <laughs> what we've talked about four times is what's the most important thing. Uh, and I think that's really it. 
And so I think the crafting of your interview questions becomes so critical. And it's something we've worked on for 15 years and I change them every three or four months. You know, there's, there's always something else to learn. I, I want to know the person. Yep. I want to know the journey. I did one of these this morning. You know, one, one of the questions that I'll ask is, you know, tell me about your three best moments in high school. And I may be talking to somebody that's not been to high school in 20 years. But there's things that I can learn from that. You know, if I'm hiring a sales guy and this guy was a competitive athlete, I'm making note of that. If this is a guy that couldn't get along with anybody in school, you know, and, and there was a problem everywhere he went, I want to know if he's grown past that. Can he take direction? You know, also I'm going to learn, did his life blow apart then? You know, maybe his parents got divorced. Maybe he lost the grandparent that was, you know, the most influential person in his life. Maybe that's why he took a left turn. How did he recoup from that? You know, I want to know the person. I want to know the journey because all of the journey, your history is the best indicator of your destiny. And so part of that interview process has really got to begin to pick some of that out. Yes, you're going to get into the practical stuff. I mean, I can't hire a guy uh, to do an inspection on a roof that's terrified of heights. So there's there's a practical side. But I think there's so much of this other stuff that we gloss over. Like one of our questions are, tell me one weakness you have you'd like to change. And I had a guy one time that was so full of himself. He said, honestly, so I just don't have any weaknesses. So, to my reply is, you know, I've only found two people, one that are liars or those that are so clueless. Which one are you? No, I really, I just, no, I don't, I don't have any weaknesses. And that's where we ended the interview. That's right. <laughs> but that self-awareness, I think, is the highest form of knowledge that people can have. Um, and, and when they have it, I can work with that. You know, I talk too much. Well, yeah, that's, that's why this interview went 50% longer than what it should. And I was going to tell you that, you know, you know, if you're going to be a good salesman, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You're going to have to work on that, but we can work on that if you're aware of it. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think the interview process itself, uh, and you know, the two of the key things that we implemented that we didn't do early on, uh, the questions were always changing and, and it was always more than one interview. But when we went to that day in the life or the ride along, that mm. become a game changer. Because the people understood after a phone interview, like this is our next step. So when we found out, are you committed enough to take a day off at work if you're working somewhere to go do this? That's a big deal. Uh, the second is, is because they were going to be working with someone they assumed to be the peer. Now we weren't getting the highlight reel of the resume. Did they show up on time? And were they smoking you out in their truck? You know, so they didn't even really think about that. Were they considerate? Were they on the phone the whole time or were they listening to you when, when they were there to learn that day? You know, did they have a really bad attitude about everybody they've ever worked for? You know, were they overly negative? I mean, that was such a game changer for us <clears throat> as well as we learned the practical stuff. Great guy. But man, when he got off the ladder, he was crawling on his hands and knees terrified. I don't <laughs> think he's going to be able to overcome that. Yeah. I mean, practical stuff, you're just not going to get from, and we've had all of those, but you're just not going to get from a resume. But the second big game changer is, and, and, and this takes a commitment, um, but if, if we interview somebody for any position that's engaged or married, we take them and their spouse or their potential spouse out to dinner. And it's not like McDonald's. I mean, we're taken to a fine restaurant. And we just tell them, this is a part of our informal interview process. And, and here's the deal. I want to know why we're a good long-term fit for your family. And you need to know why you're a good long-term fit for our work family. Because I told you in the first interview, we're not looking for someone looking for a job. You know, we will never take advantage of a um, 
uh, an expansion opportunity at the expense of our mm -hmm. culture. And we only promote from within. So that only works if I have people that I can observe your character and your leadership, because you can't microwave leadership overnight and I can't make an opinion on your character in a short amount of time. And if we're going to trust you to lead people and take on responsibility and represent us in the field, I need to know that we're a good long-term fit. And at this point, this will be the fourth interview. And I may have spent a, you don't have to do this, but I mean, you know, I take another couple out, his, his direct lead and his wife, there's six of us. I mean, we may drop 200, $300, but we're serious about that. And that also sends a message to that person. Like I have never been to an interview like mm -hmm. this. You know, I just thank you, you know, for the, and sometimes they end there. Most of the time they get to that point because unless we just uncover something we didn't expect, they're probably a great candidate. But every now and then you'll uncover something on there. It's like, I just don't think this is a good fit. And what the other thing that happens is you find out how much of the information and the expectation of that job is being transferred to the spouse that's at home. Because they're either going to be your arch enemy or they're going to be the cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And I can find out generally in that last interview how much of that information has passed through or how much they've intentionally kept from them. And so it becomes so valuable in that process. Those are probably the two biggest things, I think, in that interview process. If you're going to select the right people, you can't invest too much time there. Yeah, I I, I, I really I've always been very entrepreneurial and, and, and independent and, you know, in sales and different things where um, and, and I always thought the the HR like questions were just like, these are so dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are in a lot of ways. <laughs> what, are, what are you asking these questions for? Right. Like, it's, and, and I had this, it was a, it was a couple of years ago. I read a book uh, called who by, by a guy named Jeff smart. And he broke down this framework for hiring and he, and he, you know, broke down each question that they asked or that he suggests to ask and the why behind it. And then I started to get it. Oh, that's it. Those are the ones. And then I, I've heard the the take someone to dinner with their spouse uh, before. And the funniest, the funny, there was a funny example that I heard or a funny story that I heard about that was they, they take the, the candidate and their spouse out to dinner and the candidate goes to the restroom and the spouse, <laughs> the spouse says, are you sure you want to hire Joe? <laughs> you know, why? Why do you want to hire him? Oh yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's almost good cop bad like, cop, which you can learn. Are you, if you, you guys are not. Yeah, like don't I? I'm I'm their spouse. I'm I'm his spouse, and I wouldn't hire him. Like, what do you you know? What are you guys thinking? Uh, and uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that if anything like that's ever happened to you, and I hope it doesn't, but. Um, but, but it, I mean, you do get to know people on such a, a different level, right? And it goes back to that, who do you want to be next to you in this journey? Who do you want to be around you in this journey? Who, you know, what, that those commitments, right? The, the commitments that they're making to you beyond the paycheck, the, the commitment that you're making to them beyond the, the paycheck is, is very impactful. And, and, and so that leads kind of to the next, the next chapter is about being a culture magnet. Um, and, and I think that once you, if you really start to 
if you start to dial this in, this is where that comes into play. Am I right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's funny too, because your team will actually become the policeman of your culture. If you think about it, if you run an organization or a business where you have to have a three inch thick policy manual uh, on everything you can't do, it's probably because you have a horrible culture. If you have a really healthy culture, you have a whole lot less policy and rules and your people themselves will actually police that. I'll never forget one of the guys still works for us. I said, Hey, this guy submitted his resume. I said, he said he knew you and you share the last name. He said, Oh yeah, that's my brother. He said, yeah. He said, you don't want to hire him. He said, he's a great guy, but he said he would never work out here. He doesn't fit our culture. Okay. Good enough. And so, you know, a lot of times they'll help be the filter on the front end because they want to, they want to have lunch with the guys on their day off too, you know? And, uh, and we reward that, you know, if I'm going to spend money to indeed or wherever, and we have a whole yeah. referral process because my best candidates come from um, the people that look just like the, the guys that are already here or the gals. And so they know they're putting their personal neck yeah. out on the line. If you know, they say, I, I really think you ought to give Jim a look, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the meeting when Jim's no longer here and, and I spent my credibility on recommending him. And so that becomes a huge part of being that magnet. You know, because we think about how many companies are throwing ads out there and the moment somebody sees it and they know, well, Jim works there. Let me call Jim. Yeah, man, I'm looking for a job myself. You definitely don't want to come here. You can spend as much money as you want, but that's your culture biting you in the butt. And so it's the it's the exact opposite of being a magnet. And so, again, you know, just like the customer experience will never be greater than the employee experience. Your recruiting is not ever going to be any better. It's never going to rise above the level of experience or contentment that your own team has. And so, you know, some people just look at all that as well. That's just, it it seems like everything you're talking about just costs a bunch more money. No, if you'll look at the big picture, you know, (laughs) really, does it really, you know, you know, if I encourage my guys and run contests and and (laughs) expose them to material that helps them become more physically fit, well, how does that play into my job? Well, do you provide health insurance? Do you have lost days of work? Do you have, you know, paid time off. I mean, think about the bottom line and the bigger picture. So being invested in all aspects of your team members' lives uh, impacts your bottom line, but it sends a huge message on, you know, I value you as a person, not just as what you can do for me as a company. You're more than a number to me. Man, I hear that so much, especially in this younger generation. It's like, you know, we're just a number over there where we were at. You know, we were expendable. We weren't that important. You seem like you're a family kind of business. And, and that's probably the highest compliment we get. I tell guys when we interview them, I said, you know, we're, we're reaching the point, and I know this is long and cumbersome and, and a little awkward, this whole interviewing process. But I promise you, when you get on the inside, it's like, it's like meeting the Fockers. Now you're on the inside of the circle of trust. <laughs> it's hard to get there. <laughs> but once you're there, my guys say it's like that's being right. a part of a family. It's camaraderie. It's a brotherhood. And, uh, and that becomes the culture magnet. Yeah. And you, and you, you have a, a, a list of like some, I, some things that, that, you know, that you do, you celebrate often, you give back, you, you showcase your culture, you post highlights on your social media, you, you model your core values. You, um, um, and, and you have one here that you can't do enough, enough good. Right. And, and 
everyone feeling good about what they do, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, there's nothing better, right? It, um, it, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah. And, and then, so now how do you, you know, you, you, the next kind of part of the book here is that, you know, is that people matter, right? So understanding that that's your team, that's your, you know, you probably, you, you have your, you probably either have the privilege of leading people or have the desire to lead. Having had the privilege of leading people over the last three decades, some of my most treasured moments and most painful moments have come from walking out this calling. Right. And, and so that's that, like, you know, you, you have to be that person, right. Your, um, you know, your team is more than hired hands. This is another part that you put there, right. You just, um, so speak to that a little bit, the leader, the, the calling of leadership, maybe. Oh, wow. You know, I, I think it gets, gets back to, you have to define, you know, there's a lot of different styles of leadership. You know, for us, we chose a servant style of leadership, you know, don't ask somebody to do something you're not willing to do yourself. You know, our, our pyramid um, in all of our training manuals is an inverted pyramid. So typically it's all about how do I get to the top of the pyramid, get the best office with the best view, with the parking spot, with my name on it and all that. And ours is totally flipped. You need to understand that if you want to be a leader in code, what does that really mean? You get to serve more people. You have more responsibility. Now, obviously that comes with perks and obviously there's a value that gets associated with that. But the reality is, is how do I humbly serve other people? Because the more people that I can help, help, they're going to just help me by nature, you know, and people don't care how much, you know, they will add it until they know how much you care. And so there's so many ways in this whole leadership dynamic to really be able to portray that. It starts for us on the, on the last interview, we'll do a, a complete team profile. And I believe I included that in the book. We want to know the names of your kids. We want to know when your birthdays are. Uh, you know, one of the things that we do that they don't know, but like uh, if, if we was to hire you and your wife had a birthday six months from now, well, we already know when her birthday is. So on her birthday, she's receiving a gift at her house from us. And like, you know, you can imagine the first time that happens, you know, and she tells her husband how excited she is about the place that her husband chose to go to work, how that shows up on social media, what that means to them, not only being valued, but the, the reciprocating benefit of, and can you believe, you know, I went home last night and I got these beautiful flowers at my house and they weren't even from my husband. They were from the, the roofing company that he works at, you know, or in there on their anniversary, we sent them a date night package now where they have a card because we've already asked them, where's your favorite restaurant? So we're cat cataloging this information and so it's not like well you know here's a card and go knock yourself out no here's a card to your favorite restaurant take your wife out you know on your anniversary and go celebrate that you work hard you know don't forget what's most important and so again it just comes back to being very very intentional and a lot of these things aren't aren't big um, they're just very intentional uh, we do a day 365 yeah you know we have the guys stand up and in, in, in front of uh you know in the meeting on their anniversary, their work anniversary, we're still get another, uh, you know, certificate or something. But what it really is is a day. So tell us about your journey here, and, and and what that's been like over the course of the last year. And the words that they share are so much more powerful than what I can share to the rest of that team. You know, some guy that's been there for two months, three months, or five months, <clears throat> on how that's changed his life. And you know, our 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 guys know that we measure success in three categories. You know. We hope you'd come here and, and finish out your career with us. 
that's our goal. We know that's not reality for most, but that's still our goal. But if that was the case, we hope the least you would have taken away from here would have been your paycheck. In other words, you stayed because you could provide for your family. That's a given. But what we hope is you could say, you know what, because I worked in integrity and I, I was a better husband, I was a better dad, and, and I was just a better citizen. This place made me better in those three areas. And when we ask those kind of questions, those are the kind of things we hear, you know. I, you know, I don't even know if I'd still be married, you know, if I wasn't here. I went through a hard spot. And, you know, these, this is like my second family. And I just had guys that just cared about me, not just what I did. Or, you know, I'm a better dad just by being around guys that are here, you know, guys that are older than me that have already been here, you know. And also there's guys that are younger than me, and, I, you know, I want to pay it forward. I, I want to pass on what I've learned and some of the dumb things that I've done, some things I can't go back and change. Um, man, that's, people feel that. Uh, and that's real and authentic. And uh, yeah. that's more than a job. So I'm, I'm giving 120% because I've moved past a paycheck. That, that's not about a paycheck anymore. You know, I'll work harder for my family than I would for somebody else, but this is my family. What I do matters because I matter. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so impactful when you have a different, the different why, right? It's the, a real why, not yeah. just the paycheck. Now we talked a lot about the, the, the inside the the culture and the people on the inside the last chapter of the book is moments of magic and i and i and that's really the way i interpreted it was that's that's what happens on the outside when with the interactions with your customers and 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 the customer experience that that creates speak to that oh wow yeah i think this is when I said earlier that the 20% that we do different than all of our competitors makes a hundred percent of the difference, this starts zeroing in on that. So I believe, and everybody on our team believes that the average person doing business with a contractor actually believes I should do what I say I'm going to do, do it when I say I'm going to do it and not leave a mess behind. And we know that's not reality in many cases, but that's their reality because that's their perception. So if we show up when we said we were going to show up and we do what we said we we're going to do and we leave no mess behind, well, that's why they paid us $16,000, you know? So I have an okay, happy customer, but I don't have a raving fan. And people soon forget what you did for them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And this is where the moments of magic come in. So our guys know that. So they approach every job where here's the things contractually we're supposed to do. They're trained to go out and find something that's not on the contract to do. You know, I've had guys climb the tree and get the cat out of the tree. They'll automatically pull the trash cans back and take the newspaper up. They will look for those opportunities to carry the groceries in. They're cutting the trees that are rubbing the house. You know, they're doing all the normal things, but then they're looking for those extra. I'm going to be here all day anyway. What can I do? And what we'll find out in a review, you know, a month later, two weeks later, whatever the case might be, the thing that they're talking about probably had nothing to do with contractually, the thing that was most impactful. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because we hit an emotion. They got something they didn't expect. Uh, and that's really what a moment of magic is about. You know, looking for that, being intentional about that. We talk about that every day on a 15-minute call when we begin our day. What moment of magic did we have yesterday? You know, what do we do? So it can inspire one of the other guys. Because we talk about all the jobs or some of the jobs quickly from the day before with 
our sales and our production guys on a 15 minute call. And we're looking for highlights on the ones that we call out and what we can learn from it, but also what do we do good from it? And uh, what was that moment of man? Oh, man, I did this. And it just, they were so blown away from that. Like, oh man, that's gold. And so, but our guys are trained to do that. And it's that emotional feeling that becomes the connection that really turns people into a brand ambassador. For sure. And it, you said early, early in the conversation, the 20% that you do different is, or is a hundred percent of the difference, right? And, and that's that you, so it's not a lot that you're doing differently, but that, but it's so impactful that the difference, the difference that you are doing is so impactful and, you know, kind of the final chapter is the ripple effect, right? So, I mean, this does not stop when you do this, when you execute on this and when you have the right people and you're, and you're, it's amazing what happens. Oh yeah. And this is where it gets fun, you know, and it, and it all becomes a, a cycle that feeds itself, you know, now you're at a point where you're able to go out and impact a community. Like I was at a school the other day and it was a private school and I looked around and it was a new school. They just moved to a new building. Um, and I noticed they didn't have any flags there. And so, you know, you know, that's big for us. And so, you know, that came about, well, listen, we want to put flags in every classroom. We need a flag outside, find the one you need. We want to be a part of that. And that's, that's kind of what uh, spun off this whole pledge allegiance with the coin and stuff that we're doing now. <clears throat> But that was so cool for our guys because that's so important to us as a culture. And it's, it's almost like a core value, this patriotism mm -hmm. thing. Well, they get the fulfillment out of going out and doing it. They also get the feeling of, yeah, that's that company that did that. And, oh, yeah, I work for them. But at the same time, then there's a whole other group of people like, yeah, I know that you're going to probably be the highest when I go with integrity. But my money goes so much further. I actually make a difference. I know what I'm getting. Plus, I'm making a difference. And so it's like this cycle that just continues to come back. It's like you can't do enough good. It's not the motivation, but it's just the byproduct. It's like when we go into a sales meeting, we tell guys, you know, look, we're not trying to go over the 31 ways just to become better salespeople. Most of our sales meetings are about how can we better serve our customer? If we can figure out how to do that, more sales are just a byproduct of that. And it's kind of like the ripple effect. The more you can impact and give in the community, the more it actually gives back to you and we grow. And that's what's happening this year. I mean, we have another record year, um, but that's what's happening. We're going to give away more, be more involved than we ever have been. And we're, we're getting better people that are joining our team. We're getting more people that are joining our team. We're getting more customers. We cut our advertising in half. We can't keep up with the work volume that we've got. And we've got a, a, a culture of people that are happy with what they do day in and day out. And uh, yeah, I, I'm probably so passionate about that. Matter of fact, in February, we're starting an annual event where we actually invite uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders to come. And it's an evening and a Saturday to talk about how can I better serve my team and how can I make a greater impact in my community? And we're going to have speakers who are going to talk about that. We're also going to have practical where guys are sharing as we're collaborating together, just like I have today. And this is what we're doing with the flag. And here's what we're doing with the challenge coin. And here's how we're you know, you know, reaching out to the, you know, these kids and, and we just all share that. And then we go back and we're able to make this greater impact. And as we give our companies just continue to grow. That's awesome, man. I know you have a lot of cool projects. The book is culture near. How can people get their hands on it? Uh, go to Amazon. It uh, hits, not sure when our, our broadcast is coming out, but it's going to hit the first week of November. You can pre-order 
uh, on Amazon if this uh, airs before then. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get it right into your hands. Awesome. Then how can they learn more about the events that you do? Because it's not just the one at the event in February. You have some other events that, that you have going on. Talk a little bit about that and how people can find those also. Yeah, uh, you can actually go to uh, um, the Cultioneer or the Ripple Effect, uh, either one of those, uh, .com, uh, find us, or you can go to uh, Legacy Farm, uh, which is another event venue that hosts a lot of these events that we do. And all that information is in the back of the book. Awesome. Terry, appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing everything today. This has been another episode of the Roofing Success Podcast. If you would like to generate more revenue through your digital marketing efforts, please visit roofermarketers.com to get a copy of the book, The Best Known Roofer. Also, check the training section of the website for guides on everything from running effective pay-per-click ads to how to properly set up your Google My Business listing. Thanks for listening.